you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers, from faith leaders to academics to artists, to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome to our show Ambrose Ferber, web developer and art director turned educator who swapped enterprise code for teaching technology and acting to middle and high school students seven years ago. Ambrose, welcome to our show. Hi, thank you for having me on. And so tell us, as you're now an educator, a lot of people talk in very disparaging ways about education in America. So I guess the first most obvious question is, why do so many people seemingly think that there is something wrong with education in America. Why, why do you think that is? Well, I think it's a I think it's a multifaceted question, multifaceted answer to a complex question. I think part of it has to do with test scores and the uh, how America ranks against other countries in the world, which interestingly. Um, I think the unfortunate thing is is that that system in particular is one of the things that's wrong is that we place such a high emphasis on on test scores and that kind of uh, that kind of metric as opposed to some other metrics that might be a lot more interesting about how students interface with education, how students interface with their lives post education. And honestly, even looking at test scores, uh, I'm thinking in particular the PISA test scores, test score uh, assessment. It's the, uh, the it's this international student assessment that takes a lot of metrics from a lot of areas and and then places students internationally on this broad spectrum of results. And in in the PISA, United States isn't at the bottom it's you know it's it's not even it's a little above average and but the problem i think is is that it's just average it's mm-hmm. or maybe even a little bit above average but it's not exceptional it's not there aren't that many countries ahead of the united states but why shouldn't we be thinking in terms of how do we be exceptional how do we lead the way how do we be innovators and uh, and, and and drivers of interesting new pedagogical ideas and thoughts instead of settling for being not too terrible. <laughs> so one of the questions regarding these tests is I assume that the tests help allocate funding and help work out here's where funding needs to go so that we can see these students are not learning as much in – Spanish, math, anything. So we need to funnel some funding there. Is there a practical, almost political aspect to these tests that is a necessary, I hesitate to say necessary evil, but is this necessary in order to keep 
an education system with so many millions of students going. I, yes, you have to have some kind of metrics. You have to be able to see how people are measuring up. If you leave it completely up to just sort of amorphic, abstract ideology, then yes, it's very difficult to know where things should go and how things should. Behave so absolutely. Understanding at least with test scores within the United States, you have to, and because we do have a very one of the other things that's a big problem. Why people are, are uh, disparage American education in particular so much is the lack of uh, equality, the lack of of equanimity throughout the country. That there are a lot of students who come from more. Uh, advantaged backgrounds and who do better, and those schools tend to have more money than schools for students who don't have those backgrounds. So, yes, I think it is important to have metrics to be able to understand what students are doing so that you can fund them appropriately. But clearly, that's not working because we still have this huge disparity across the country,、um, and students who have wildly different experiences, even with. The, the the tests as they are, even trying to find these metrics. So clearly, that system is flawed. Even if fundamentally, ideologically, we need some kind of metric. And all I'm saying is, is not necessarily that we shouldn't have objective metrics to test education, to test the education system, to、uh, to, to help understand where our attention needs to lie. But I think. Merely saying that all students need to adhere to this very narrow set of mathematical, scientific, and hum- humanities-based metrics is not a good way of understanding how people learn things, and it's not a good way of being a leader in the world when it comes to education because the world is changing,、hmm. and and what it means to be educated. Is changing and is going to change a lot more as time goes on. And our previous thinking and our previous understanding of what it means to be educated, what it means to be an enlightened, intellectual, thoughtful person, and what it's and what it's going to take to be successful, and not just in intellectual, abstract, philosophical ways, but to be successful in careers, is really changing. And our schools have not changed with that. So you you mentioned the idea of the changing perspective of what it means to be educated.、Mm. When I was younger, being educated meant being like an encyclopedia. Fill yourself with the relevant facts. Demonstrate that you can apply those facts, whether it's numerical or or, or just information. Show that you can apply them, and then you're done. Mm-hmm. You seem to be suggesting that being educated is something else. In which case, what what does it mean to you for someone to be educated? Well, because the interesting thing that's happened in the last ten years, in particular, is that mastery of facts is not so important anymore. All of our facts are in our pockets. All the facts of the world are now in your pocket all the time. Almost everyone. I probably shouldn't say that, but the vast majority of people、mm-hmm. have this magical, mystical device in their pocket that gives them access to the facts. So, 
mastering facts, memorizing facts, having those facts packed into your head is perhaps not as relevant as it once was. And the second part of what you said is growing in importance, this idea of what you do with those facts, how you apply them, how you extend them, um, how we go about thinking about things and how we go about applying that is much more important. So I think the the high school graduate, and I, I specialize, as you said in the introduction, in middle and high school education. I so I can speak a lot less about what it should look like to graduate from college, but I but students who graduate from high school, I think it's more important that to be an educated young person heading out into the workforce or heading out into university should be really really good at thinking about things and about solving problems. This person should be able, should have learned how to fail multiple hmm. times and, but still be able to get up and try it again. Because most of life, most of professional life is really failure. It's about things, trying things, they don't work. And so you try them again. And having that kind of resilience, having that kind of grit I think is a really important part about being an educated person. And the last thing that I think a high school, uh, an educated high school graduate should have is a huge amount of curiosity and fascination. I think being educated in the 21st century is going to be a lot more about wanting to discover things, wanting to explore and experiment and having the tools to be able to do that. Again, not necessarily facts, but a a sense of I can access the facts whenever I want. So how am I going to go about thinking about things in order to use those facts effectively? Before we take a break, I'm going to open up a massive can of worms based on what you've said. Because you said that we have the accessibility to all the facts. You know, the internet is an extraordinary thing. We're living in the, in the information age. And information comes to us faster than it ever has done before. But it's also filtered. And it's filtered particularly based on our previous searches of online engines. They, they, they filter towards what we have already searched. So if we search, for example, conspiracy theories, we're more likely to be led down there. So even though everyone has access to the same information, we're aware that sometimes it's filtered. We don't all have like the Encyclopedia Britannica, showing my roots, and, and that's just that's what it is. Um, nonetheless, because it's tailored... Even if we have the same facts, even if it weren't tailored, the truth is, and here's the can of worms right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Millions of Americans are shown the facts of the importance of vaccines, for example, and say, no, I am more educated. I am I'm not going to follow the sheeple, they would say. But I am going to be do my own research. And they go onto Google and they search on um, crackpot websites and it leads them to really dangerous things. 
that to me seems like a real failing of American education, and indeed not just American education, but but across the world in in the inability to be able to sort out fact from fiction. So even if someone has access to the facts, the truth is they may not know that they are facts, and just. The difficulty is that anyone now can say anything online, and people turn around and say, "Well, that is a fact because it accords with what I was hoping." Anyway, what do we do with that in terms of what it means to be educated? Because sure, people have the facts, but if they don't trust the facts, or if they are naturally resistant or skeptical of the facts, what does that mean in terms of education? I am very excited to answer this question because I think it can be done specifically. Um, instead of speaking about this in the abstract about learning how to critically think, we can actually teach people how to search and how to do research and how to、uh, discern fact from conspiracy. There are pedagogical methods. There are algorithms that we use in my classes, in my middle school classes in particularly.、Um, I teach exactly that. Where you learn how to sort through sources, how to check on sources, how to do multiple searches from multiple places to fact check things that you think might be fact, how to question, how to be skeptical. We know how to do that.、Hmm. We know how to train people to do it. And if that was a focus in education, then we can we can help students become adults who know how to. Find facts who know how to sort through those facts and know how to extrapolate ideas from those facts. So it's not even an abstract idea. It's something that we know how to do. It's just a question of making that a priority in schools. I, I love that answer because all too often I hear people say, "I did my own research,"、right. which means you know they they hold. I did. I I looked at some crackpots website. And hold that to have the same value as someone's PhD after they've been in the field for thirty years or something. So what you're talking about is is giving people the ability to learn that is not the same thing,、mm-hmm. and you haven't done your research. Exactly, exactly. And also,、um, we specifically train students to understand what's going on under the hood with search engines and how search engines work. And even more so, how social media works—that Facebook loves to make its money based on telling you what it thinks you want to know,、mm. which means that you end up in an echo chamber and surrounded only by people who agree with you. And I think once students understand the technology and understand the motivations that these companies have for you know why that works for them. Then they can start to be more skeptical about it. They can start to p- pick apart those ideas and really understand what is probably true and what is probably not true. We have to take a break. I'm、Good. loving this conversation so far. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe, and our guest this evening, Ambrose Ferber, web developer, art director, and also educator of middle and high school students for seven years. And we'll be back after this break.
You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Ambrose Ferber, web developer, art director and educator. We've been having an extraordinary discussion about, about education and what it means to be educated you before the break, you mentioned about trying to foster that sense of curiosity. Mm. What do you do when curiosity turns to skepticism? Because I hear more and more this, especially in this country in particular, the um, we've had enough of experts to quote one politician in England a number of years ago. Um, this idea that you're only telling us that because you're part of the establishment, because you're trying to direct us in society, you're part of a, a larger nefarious scheme. How do you how do you create the balance in a student between curiosity, healthy skepticism and I guess paranoia? Mm -hmm. rejection of all things established um, just because they are. Um, That's a very difficult and systemic problem because it's not just students who feel that way. It's everyone. And I think in a broader sense, uh, a a lot of that has to do with – a lot of failings that we've been suffering for the last few decades in education where on one hand we have education being sort of generally vilified by a large population in the country uh, who who say that that's just – it's just an elitist mm. and uh, propagandized sort of thing that people don't need – real working people don't need. But then the flip side of that coin are educated people who have – who have vilified trade work, who who say, well, you can't just be a plumber. You can't just be – there's nothing wrong. In fact, being a plumber is uh, – takes an extraordinary amount of education and skill and expertise and experience. Um, and, and, and I think those two sides warring with each other mm. have resulted in this idea that all things intellectual are bad or all things – physical or uh, tactile are bad. And and then we end up in this situation where people say things like, we've had enough of experts, right? So I think in school, there's a couple of things we can do to begin to train students to, uh, to avoid that pitfall. And I think one of them is reestablishing things like shop class in schools. Mm, mm -hmm. A lot of schools have lost shop class or they have lost home ec. Um, They've lost things that feel real to students, Mm. things that require students to use their hands and and to make things. And and I think it's the balance between sitting and listening to lectures, uh, doing project-based work, thoughtfully writing things, but also making things and using your hands and using your physicality. I think those things all have to work in concert with each other. And that leads to another thing that I think we can do with students, which is giving them a little bit more agency in what they are doing and what they're studying and how they're studying it. We were speaking at first about testing and metrics. Mm-hmm. And one of the problems that a lot of people have noticed with that that metric is that it leads to having to have very specific standards across the board, which means that there are very specific milestones. We believe that every student who graduates high school must have this level of math, must mm-hmm. know these historical facts, 
must be able to read and write in this very particular way, which leaves no room for going down a rabbit hole.、Right. It leaves no room for a class of 20th century history students to get lost in World War II and perhaps never get to 1950. Right? That should be okay because one of the greatest joys, one of the greatest pleasures about intellectual pursuits, about discovering the world, is allowing yourself. To fall down those rabbit holes, to be able to find something that fascinates you and dig into it as deeply as you can or as deeply as you want to, but instead teachers are forced to say, "I'm sorry, we have to move on. We have、mm. to get to Eisenhower. We have to get to the Korean War. We have to move on." And and I, I and and I've talked to a lot of students who feel like they get railroaded into everything they do. And as a result, they feel like there's no point in being curious about things because, in a way, they're not allowed to be. In a way, they have to just swallow、right. whatever we give、right. them. And and I and I would love to see. Now, obviously, we can't just say, "All right, do whatever you want," because the, sure. And there are some students who don't have direction yet or who need more guidance. But I do think that giving students more agency, more choice, more ability to explore things is critical for them to discover how much they enjoy learning things and to discover how much they want to be curious about things. And I believe I have zero data to support this, but my belief is is that when that happens, you suddenly start to have. Thoughtful adults、mm, mm. who don't just swallow everything that they're given, who don't just say like you know,、uh, experts are just a bunch of authoritarian authoritarian right, right. figures, but they really move on from there. It's interesting because, in some sense, when you say swallow, I do feel like my education as a child was very much open wide, pour it in, and it sounds like you're also saying. To mix my metaphors somewhat, that education should be giving someone a spade and helping them to dig, and say you choose where to dig. But we do need to make sure that you are aware of, because the、uh, you know of this of this particular thing in history, for example. Because if you miss certain things out, you miss out a larger part of the story. I、mm-hmm. I get that. So it's an interesting balance. I part. I wonder if part of it is about trust. How much do we trust the students? Later on in life, to say we can't teach you the whole of world history in you know however many weeks, thirty, forty weeks a year,、um, with two hours a week on this history or this math or whatever. We can't teach all of that, so we have to pick and hope that we've given you that we trust you once you leave that you have the tools to be able to do this. I wonder how much of this is ultimately about do we trust. And are we right to trust students and say, right, here's what you can do now. Off you go. Here's here's something that might be of interest to you. The challenge, of course, is when you're individualizing education that much, and you've got twenty or thirty kids in a classroom, and one teacher. It's it's not humanly possible, is it? No, and and. Those are obviously problems that need to be solved in a much more sort of logistical way. Is clearly education needs a lot more money, and there needs to be a lot more schools and a lot more teachers, and those teachers need to be compensated in ways that it attracts really bright, really driven, motivated teachers to do incredible work. And、right. obviously, those are all things that. Have to happen. You can't, and and even if you have eighteen kids in a classroom, you can't be completely 
uh, you know, individualized for each and every student. I, so, um, but 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 there are some methodologies that we can use right. to allow that that make those things more possible. And two things I want to say actually about that. One is um, when you said, "Do we?" Tr-? Actually, three things. Uh, when we trust people, they usually step up. Mm. In my experience with adults, with kids, with little kids, teenagers, all of them, you have to give them trust. You have to trust them. You have to give them the opportunity to step up. And the and nine times out of ten, it works. And for that one time it doesn't work, it's still worth it for the nine who did it. Right. Um, Ellen Zieselman, actually, who I, I don't know if she's been on this show or not, but probably ought to be at some point. When I was first be- beginning to teach and I was going to become a teacher and I was terrified and I spoke to her because her relationship with teenagers in particular is just phenomenal. And she said, just treat them like people. <laughs> and, right. and I said, that's that's beautiful because I think a lot of times we treat teenagers like they're subhuman when really like all they're they vessels. Want, yeah, right. 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 And, right. And, and all we want, all they really want is to start to begin to be treated like grownups. Right. And if we give them some trust, they'll step up. So the, the other thing I wanted to say about that history example in mm. particular is what is it, why do we teach history? What is the point of learning history? I don't think the point of learning history is to know exactly what happened at every moment in time. Mm. The point is, is to understand your place in the wider context of history. It's to understand the context under which things happened. It's to begin right. to understand why it is that atrocities can be enacted. It's, it, it's to begin to understand how wars start or how, uh, how people come out of dark times and how they survive so that we can learn from that and understand our place. So maybe we don't need if, – if, if we don't get to all of the right. facts of history – if students come away understanding their place, understanding their context, perhaps that's enough. Is it not also – I know we have very little time. Is it not also to learn the narratives of others? You know, when I learned history as a yeah. kid in England, um, you know, Richard I, the Lionheart, it was great. He was wonderful and we, had, we all drew pictures and he was great until somebody told me about the Crusaders going through Europe and slaughtering all the Jews. And what were the Crusades about in the first place and learning the other narratives as well? Isn't that also an opportunity like history, for example, to to hear the stories of others and to say, right, this is where you're coming from. So now I can hear you as well. I think that's I think that's beautiful. Yes, absolutely. It is. And and in fact, that leads to being able to tell fact from fiction in the news that leads to all of these other things that we've spoken about today. It leads to those because it teaches you. And if we contextualized it to students that way. We want you to understand what it means to look at things from different angles, to see things from different perspectives and understand what the difference is between different people's view mm-hmm, of things. Mm-hmm. Then maybe students would embrace the study of history more or English or mathematics or whatever it is. This has been fascinating. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for for 
raising this discussion of education, what it is to be as a human being and, 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 and our relationship with students, younger people. I, I really so appreciate you coming today. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, it was really a pleasure and uh, a lot of fun. Thank you. So thank you to Ambrose Ferber. Um, really, we hope to have you back on the show to, to discuss education more. It's been absolutely wonderful. You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.